0: Welcome to (laughs) Smart Businesses Do This. and My name is Adam Lyons, and I am here with my good friend, Steve Sims, who has literally achieved more in a very short span of his life than many of us will achieve in all of ours. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This. The podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. To give you a summary of just a few of the things this man has done... He managed to get two of his friends married by the Pope. He got the Pope to officiate the wedding. And then a couple of his other friends, they felt like having a little bit of a meal. And so he turned the museum that houses the statue of David into a restaurant for two for the night. And then he got Andre uh, Bocelli yep, yep. to serenade them while they ate. I am joined by none other than Steve Sims. Steve, how are you doing? Hey you doing? Uh, just to correct you, it was actually six
1: people that I did the dinner for. So it was a, a chock-a-block restaurant table, but we set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David. And then I remember, because uh, I just thought it'd be funny to see how far I could take this. Shit. And I thought to myself, you're in a museum. It's really quiet. So I said to the client, hey, I'm going to get some, a local entertainer a serenade you. And he was like, oh, that's great. That's great. And then during the event, I was like, oh, can I get him in a sink for you? And then they were like, yeah, bring him in. So I walked in with Andrea Bocelli and his fiancee <laughs> dropped a spoon or something. Now, when you're in a room full of marble, that thing echoes for about 45 minutes. It was the funniest, <laughs> like clang.
0: It was just a funny night. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So sorry about the exaggeration. Six people. Uh, yeah, not, six. So you've got more than more than two friends. Um, so Steve, uh, I'm, I'm super excited to have you here. Obviously, you're the author of the book, Blue Fishing. Where, where basically, you're capable of, of making pretty much anything happen. I mean, that's your that's your superpower.
1: Yeah. You, uh, actually, my superpower is the stupidity not to be scared of it. Um, That's what I actually came from. They always say that when you write a book, it's it's traumatic therapy because you start analyzing what you actually do mm-hmm. and kind of realize that other people don't. And when I was writing the book, I was realizing that I was never doing fantastical things. I just wasn't scared of pushing. And yeah. a lot of the time I would do things and then go, how did they do that? How did I manage to do this For Guns N' Roses? This with Elon Musk, this was Richard Branson. And I realized it was because I wasn't scared. And my wife always says I'm a 55-year-old, five-year-old. <laughs> as, ki- as kids, we're not scared, are we? You know, you introduce your three-year-old to the Pope and your three-year-old's going to go, "Yeah, a man in a dress. You know, he's going to say <laughs> something stupid. And, you know, everyone will just giggle because of the just, the naivety, the transparency, the authentic nature of it, whatever you like, it's just childlike. But there's no fear. And so with me, I was stupid enough to actually go for these things and stupid enough to actually ask for these things, and I got them. And that was my superpower, not in achieving the amazing, but by not being terrified in the first place.
0: I I love that. And now um, when when it comes to not being terrified in the first place, I want to bring something up because I I felt a kinship with you the minute I met you. Whereabouts are you from, Steve, with that accent of yours? It is sexy, isn't it? It is. We do share that.
1: That's
0: probably why we're so popular on
1: Grinder. Um, it's uh, from uh, I was born in Reading and I'm an East London
0: boy. Nice, yeah. So I was born in East London. I was born uh, in Whitechapel in the sound of the Bow Bells. Yep. And uh, spent my whole life growing up in East London. And it's funny because I taught myself to get rid of my accent because no one was taking me seriously. And I want to know why at the age of fifty-five, Steve, you're still using it, man. I know. Well, yeah. I, yeah exactly. Yeah, I'm from Austin, <laughs>
1: Texas, and I got it on eBay. Um, <laughs> do you know, I never, I thought to myself, and this was one of the beautiful parts of my life. I felt so disadvantaged because I didn't have your stunning Brad Pitt looks. I just looked like this, which, you know, is the kind. I'm the kind of face that you scare your kids to go to bed with, you know, can I like, go to bed quickly or, or hills, over. <laughs> you know, that kind of. <laughs> so no. I didn't think I had any advantage. So what I did, and this is how I learned marketing and branding I focused on the client, you know? And so it would be a case of, hey, what do you need? Do you need to meet this person? Do you need this? Do you want to achieve this? Do you want to go backstage here? By focusing on them and being the solution to that problem, Mm -hmm. no one cared what you look like. You do not care about the packaging when you're reaching for a headache tablet. And I was the solution to someone's problem. So I couldn't spell for I couldn't speak articulately. I didn't have any kind of like, oh, I went to Oxford. Oh, I did this. I didn't have any of that. So while thinking I was disadvantaged, I actually just played on my, what at the time was just my uniqueness, which was just being me. And I've always said being you
0: takes zero effort. Yeah. And that was it. I, I, I love it. I, I, I resonate so much with you. You sound literally like my dad, which I love every time I talk to you. Um, and you're not old enough to be my dad, just to be clear. I'm just to be clear, I am not old. Adam's dad. If I am in my 40s. Thank you very much, mate. No, I like I like talking to you because my accent comes back. It'd be like the only, every other, act, every other podcast, we're like, hi, welcome to the Smart Blueprint. And this one, I was like, yeah, yeah, what's up, everybody? I'm here with my mate, Steve. <laughs> it's the only podcast
1: you're ever going to do that actually comes with subtitles. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was like I'm pretty sure what both these two gentlemen were saying it was incredibly interesting. <laughs> I, it must have been wonderful. Just didn't understand it. <laughs> All right, so there's so much I want to go over with you. Like so many different things. Um, I, I, I'd love to talk about right at the very beginning, though, if you wouldn't mind sharing the story of how do you get the Pope to marry you, and and based on that, can I have him come over and make me breakfast? <laughs> That's the <laughs> the two things I'd like. So. Well, apparently there's a big
1: hoo-ha about them visiting personal people's bedrooms, but I don't know. We won't go into that. Are you sure? I'm pretty... No, uh, whatever. I won't go there. (laughs) Do do you know the funny thing is, to give you a quick answer to the first question, how did you get it to happen? I asked. Mm. And that in its just simplicity is where most people bail. You see, here's the dumb thing. You say to someone, hey, if you could do anything on the planet, what would it be? They'll give you a, an answer. Oh, I'd get a, a hot tub with all the Hawaiian Tropic models or I'd take a plane and I'd fly off and I'd do this or I'd play piano with Sir and John. They will tell you what they want and then nine times out of ten, then spend the next five minutes telling you that you didn't ask, but telling you why it could never happen. They'd go, oh, I'd like to do this with Sir But, I can't play a piano. Oh, he wouldn't want to do it. They talk them out of even trying. People spend more effort and energy on telling people why it can't be done than focusing on why it should. Now, I was challenged with, hey, I'd love to get married in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Who's in the Vatican? It's the bloke in a dress. Let's see if he can be part of it. So <laughs> quite simply, if you want to get in touch with the, with the Vatican, first of all, speak to the church because they're kind of connected you know? (laughs) And then speak to someone in Italy. I phoned up a bunch of people. And of course, it gets easier over the years. But they always say, how do you get on the roof? You climb a ladder. So my relationships are those runs of the ladder. I can get higher with the more runs I got. And so I was phoning people in Italy going, hey, I was thinking about doing this. Do you know anyone connected with the Vatican? No, I don't. No, I don't. Oh, I don't but I know Luigi does and I know Ooh. Francesco does. And, I know, and all of a sudden you start expanding the network and you get closer and closer and closer by just asking to, in the end, someone says, I actually look after that. What do you want? What do you need? You know, why are you trying to do this? And you get that. So it's literally just constantly asking like an annoying little five-year-old that wants a lollipop before dinner until you get the person and then the skill set transfers from trying to locate that person to trying to engage them Mm -hmm. you see the easiest way to get people with money to walk away from you is to try to purchase them Mm -hmm. i remember i was with elton john uh name drop um power pause there you go and Uh someone went up to him And I was next to him, and someone went, Hey, you know, it's it's good to see you. And he went, uh, he was very, it was his party. It was his LA Oscar party. We worked together for eight years. And the person was like, Oh, it's really good to be here. And so that one was like, You know, being very polite, which he isn't always. He's quite bitchy. And he was like, Oh, you know, it's good for you to be here. Oh, thanks for coming along. He went, Hey, I'm having this party. How much would it cost me to get you to come to my party? And Alan just turned around and went, I'm busy then and walked away. (laughs) Now, He hadn't even mentioned the date, Yeah, (laughs) but Elton didn't want to be a prostitute. And so if you want people with money and power and connection to walk away from you, then try to create a transaction with them and see them run. Okay. When you want people to get involved in what you want, you've got to bring something to the party. You've got to bring a reason, a nurture. With me, I was saying to him, hey, I want to create the most amazing experience. And I want you to be part of that experience. I wanted them to buy into my dream before they invoiced me. And that's what I did. So I got them to, to, you know, want to be part of this amazing creative day. And then they
0: invoice me accordingly. I, I, and I resonate so much of this because obviously a large part of what I do is, you know, buying and selling businesses and, and helping them grow and scale and I must see 10 to 30 business opportunities across my desk a week, a week. And it's constantly people being like, I remember one, someone gave me like a, a $400 million hotel. And they're like, Hey, we want to give you 15% ownership of this hotel to help us, you know, grow it, acquire it, all the stuff that they wanted to do. And I was like, nah, like, what do you mean? No. And I was like, I don't really like hotels, and that was it was you know it didn't. Mm. And they're like, but it's this much money. I said like, I don't I don't really like hotels. Now I agree with you. If they'd have said to me, by the way, this is a gothic hotel, Edgar Allan Poe used to hang out here. Oh, I would have been like, uh, yeah, I need that. Like because it wasn't the hotel, it's the experience. I, I resonate Sorry. deeply. Yeah, because they just told me four hundred million dollar hotel, and I was like, uh, I, don't I
1: hate. I, I am with money, Um, and I'm. <laughs> with money because I realized how much it actually affects my mood Mm -hmm. and a lot of people they'll do a deal they'll make a lot of money and they'll become lazy and flamboyant for a few months until they've spent it all and then they start hustling to get the wrong deals to get the money back up again so I realized how much my bank balance actually wagged the dog so what I decided from a very early on age because I kept fucking it up was I said to my wife just make sure we're comfortable and just give me a nudge every now and then if something's going the wrong way. But other than that, I don't want to know how much money. And I can bet you all of my motorcycles, I don't know how much money is in my bank account. Now it's not trying to go, Hey, it's because I'm, I'm Roland Frazier and I own Paris. No, it's because quite simply <laughs> I don't want it to um, com- conform my reaction to anything. So when I get involved in something, I'm not doing it because I have to pay the mortgage. I'm doing it because I want to be part of that experience. I want to be part of that story. I want to be part of that memory. And if you, if you focus your head on that, then you focus on the person and not on the checkbook. And that's the important thing I learned from a very young age. Is, is this an East London thing?
0: Because I'll tell you, because I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. And I'll, I'll tell you, I know exactly how much money I have to spend every month because I'm given a budget by, I've got a, a chief financial officer that manages all my money. I don't touch it. I I know vaguely how much comes in and out, which is very big numbers. I don't really like anything smaller than that. And I've got people that double check to make sure everything's good. So my investments are all automatic and everything, right? But I don't don't really keep track of it. My budget, despite all the money I make, is five grand a month. Oh, I beat you. Mine's 15.
1: I've got one (laughs) credit card that's always got 15 on it. And I'm told you can play. And, yeah. I, you know, that's the one I use for bike parts. That's the one I go out to <laughs> restaurants and stuff like that. And it's always paid off. Well, but I've always got that <laughs> card and that's it.
0: Right. That's it. I've got, I've got, but, but that's a $5,000 budget just for miniatures and <laughs> painting room. Oh. <laughs> no, for anything else. Everything else is like credit cards that pay for everything else. But I can buy $5,000 worth of miniatures every month. And oh, do. that is something. That is, that is something that the is, most- but isn't it good to
1: be in that position? Yeah, I that's what it. you want to be to be able to, to be able to, to spend five grand on something that you like yep. that it doesn't affect
0: the rest of the planet and your 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 system. That's a great position to be in. And what I love about it, and you know, and this I think would be good. Like we, we're going to switch to money management, but I think this will, this will help everyone. I've found that five thousand dollars, if I I could like, quote unquote spend more, right? But if I did, I would go and buy everything. And then I would instantly lose interest in one of my favorite passions. By limiting, my, weirdly, limiting myself to five back, yep. Um, there are some miniatures that cost $4,000. Like they exist. And I have to decide, oh, if I buy that one, I can't buy any more this month. That's not true, but it is true because I limit myself to it. And no matter how much my money goes up and down each month, the bills and everything are all paid out of separate accounts, like the, the rent and the mortgages and the properties, all that stuff. And, you know, and, and food is uh, is a quote unquote unlimited bill because we don't eat out. We eat in I like cooking. Um, but the uh, the five K is just for miniatures. But I like it because I'll be like, you know what, if I close this deal, I'll buy myself the big one. And then I'll only have a thousand left the rest of the month. But ju- This will be the special day. And so even though the budget isn't going up and down, I, I make these like micro rewards, I call them, for hitting certain goals. I'm like, and if yeah. I don't do the big one, I can't get the big miniature, <laughs> and it, which is a completely fake reward system. And I can change it anytime I want, but I hold myself to it. And it motivates me more than anything. I think, I'm wondering if it's East London. I
1: wonder if that's- if that I, think, I think it's an entrepreneur thing because mm. as entrepreneurs, we know we have shiny object syndrome. And not only do we have kind of like, a oh, squirrel, you know, we have that, yeah. but also we don't like to have our world dictated to us. Like if, if someone actually said to you, you can if I said to you, Adam, you cannot spend more than five grand this month. You cannot, d- you're going to spend six just to spite me. And yeah, the funny are. thing is <laughs> you're probably going to spend the six on something you don't want, but just to approve the point. So we all react differently to money. And we know as entrepreneurs, we're weird, dysfunctional, creative disruptors. We have to harness our focus. We both do it. I actually have, I realized, um, I remember years ago, I bought this watch. Um, and most of I've got one watch. But I remember being somewhere and this guy was like, oh, you know, that's a, that's a really nice one. Yeah, you, you couldn't afford that. And what did I do? I bought the fucking watch. You know, (laughs) I just straight away went, yeah, I can. Bang, bought the watch. And then I'm walking around going, oh, I don't don't even really want this watch. (laughs) There's there's no point. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'm looking at my watches. I'm like, which watch do I want? Now I'm stressed. Which watch do I wear? (laughs) In the end, I got rid of it. I realized that I had reacted to somebody else. You need to decide how you're best reacting and control your reaction the way you do it
0: is your, your, your miniature budget and you work accordingly. Yeah, well, I love what you said because there is a, a little piece that, which is a, a little bit of a, of a tweak. And I love what you said about if somebody limited me because I was limited once. And so I bought a miniature game shop <laughs> and so when i spend five grand i get 10 grand worth of stuff because i buy it wholesale now but that was one way that i was like i'm gonna just buy a business and, and do it and do it that way so that is something that i did um and fun fact i bought the business for five grand true story um <laughs> i bought an entire game shop for five grand and uh, and now i'll tell you about it sometime it's, it's uh it's worth over a million now from five very 5, nice dollars. as it would be it's yeah. it's adam and, then, you know, that's, that's, that's what you do, do. Well, I I I try. And obviously, you're the you're the king of branding. I'm super excited to get to. Before we get to that, because I, I know that's like the big thing that, that you and your son do. Who is awesome, by the way? Henry is phenomenal. Freaking love the guy. Um. So, so for everyone listening, Henry's great. You know, as as awesome as as Steve is. Um. I would love it if you wouldn't mind sharing the story of how you rented out the museum with the statue <laughs> of data, because I think there's so much in that. In, in persuasion, in sales, in conversation. And I think this applies to anyone who's like, I want to get my dream client. I want to make something happen um, where you, you're focusing on what you give, not what you get. Um, if you wouldn't mind, Steve, because it is my favorite story.
1: Yeah, so, and there's multiple layers in there. And I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever been exposed to all of the layers. So I'll try to keep them short for you. But I was actually, I was actually in Rome at the time working on that Vatican deal. And I always tell my clients where where I am. And I had a client contact me on the Sunday going, hey, on the Wednesday, I'm down in Florence. Can you organize an amazing dining experience for me and my fiance and my mother-in-law and father-in-law? So originally it was just going to be four people. It ended up being another couple of stragglers, and so six people ended up coming. But um, can you arrange it for Wednesday night? That was it. That was the whole blanket conversation. So I started... Uh, first of all, I have a little thing in my head, and it's actually the title of my next book that, you know, we haven't even got anywhere near finishing yet, but it's called Go for Stupid. Because in my head, I remember having a conversation years ago with Elon Musk, and he said to me, people always laugh at you before they applaud. And that always stuck with me. So whenever I go for a goal, uh, the one word I will never use, it's my Voldemort. It's the impossible word how many people go well i'm going to go for the impossible i'm going to make the impossible possible how can you make anything possible by first of all giving the word impossible power you know i don't want to give that word any kind of hold over me what i don't want to recognize it it doesn't exist in my vocabulary so when i have to do something i always go okay what's stupid here what is the most ridiculous... If I'm going to have a meal in England, what's the most ridiculous thing I can do? I know, I'm going to have it in Buckingham Palace and I'm going to have the Queen serve me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Again. You know, start there. Start at start stupid and c- calm down. No, I may not get the Queen, but maybe I'll get Buckingham Palace. You know, right. I may not get back Buckingham Palace, but maybe I'll get Windsor Castle. You know, basically, when you start off with a stupid goal and you fall short and you hit ridiculous, you're still a millennium ahead of what was the original request. Now, for me, I did what I just explained. I phoned people. Hey, do you know I've got this weird, crazy people love to be part of stupid. People love to be part of a ridiculous goal. So when you talk to these people, they're like, well, I don't know, but I know. And so I went through the ladder, and I ended up getting in front of um, the academia. Now, uh-huh. here's the thing. I'm going to play a little game with you, Adam. All, All right, right? Go for it. I'm here. Go. Right. It's Saturday. All right. And I say to you, hey, Adam, I know you're in town. I want you to come to my barbecue party on Saturday night. You like, say yes, but what's the first question you ask me? Um, who else is going? Brilliant question. Who else is going to be there? Oh, I'm going yeah. to have a whole bunch of people, new, old people that you know, people that you don't. You're going to meet some fantastic people. What's your second question?
0: <laughs> um, do you need to bring anything?
1: All right. <laughs> the Probably first question was selfish. Yeah. The second one looked after me. Got it. All right. I invited you to my party, and the first response you could give was something that benefited you as to whether or not you should bother coming to my party. I'd already invited you, and I'm a really nice person, so you should have accepted regardless. But no, you had to quantify (laughs) if it was worth it for you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Now, that's being nasty. Now, here's the funny thing. When you play play this to your wife, she's going to go, wanker. That should have been your first (laughs) answer. What could I bring? And the ladies, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, you know, female intuition or whatever. Nine times out of 10, the guys get it wrong. 10 out of 10, the girls get it right. They always ask with, you always turn around to your wife and go, hey, we're going over to Billy's barbecue on Saturday. And she'll turn around and she'll go, before she says, who the Billy, she'll say, fine, what can I bring? They just naturally do it. So whenever you turn up, To people that don't know you, ask yourself, what can I bring to the party? Now, we all walk around with these little cuby things that have got more intelligence in them than NASA had in the 90s. (laughs) Yeah. So what I did was I Googled the academia. The most ridiculous place I wanted to have a dinner was a museum, that houses, Michelangelo's David. And they were open to having a conversation with me. So if I'm going to have a conversation with them, what can I bring to the party? Okay? So they know Probably I want More than a bottle of
0: wine, let's be real.
1: That funny like that, yeah. So <laughs> I did a bit of Googling, and I found out that they were having a gala later on that year. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew my client was going to put some money up, and I knew the rough kind of budget that he said, oh, if it's within this, you know, but you know, let's see what you can do for it. I knew he was going to be Okay. I knew he had the capability, I just need to expose the value for him, okay? I knew he could afford anything, like a country, but I needed to show that it was valuable enough to him. So I went forward and I said to him, I hear you've got a gala. First thing I said, hey, thanks a lot for having this meeting. Before we get into it, again, what can you bring to the party? I believe you've got a gala going on at the end of this year. That, That interested me. What was the point of the gala? Oh, it's to raise money for the roofs. Why? Is that a problem here? Oh, yeah. When you've got a museum, it needs to be humidity. It needs to be fire. You know, not the rain's not the problem. It's all those other elements that come into a roof. And they went into it. They went into this pain, this problem this had, the issue they had. And it hadn't been repaired for so many years. That budget must be huge you need to put into it. What we've actually got to put about a million bucks into just doing the roof. He said it's, it's, it's a big number for basically what is a small, because it's tall, but it's yeah. not that wide. It's mm-hmm. a big number for what is a pretty small roof. Hmm. How would you feel if before you printed a, a, a single flyer, we could cover a quarter of your budget required? Would that be of interest yeah, to yeah. you? So good. And they were like, Oh, yeah, you should have said, I had three or four people in the room. They were like, yes, before the flyers even printed? A quarter of our budget? Absolutely. What do we have to do? (laughs) Isn't that the question you want? So that's when I said to them, well, I've got this experience, and I have this dream. My job is to make these magical moments, and I create stories. I create memories. And do you know, I would like you and this location to be one of those stories. I made sure that I was supplying them a story that they could participate in rather than them completing a transaction. I had them buy into the story. You know you're going to pay. It's like buying a car and then being pissed off because you've got to put fuel in it. You know you've got to do that. (laughs) But I I worked on on that. So when they said yes, um, then it was just a case of, okay, then let's do it. And so I went through it. And of course, like that happened really quick. I didn't expect to get a museum as quick as I did. And that's when I had the time to get um, a Bocelli. And I literally thought, well, I've got, this was on the Monday. The meal's yeah. on the Wednesday. I got two days left. Plenty and of time. And, you're an entrepreneur. You, you, yeah. you know, when things go well and you've got everything you need, what do you do? You, you look at ways to f*** it up. I'm like, right, what can I do with this? I've already got the museum. So then uh, that's when I came up with the idea of having like this crazy act in the museum. (laughs) Um, And I thought, well, who's the most amazing Italian uh, um, act that that exists today? There was this this three-guy group, these young guys called uh, Levia or something like that, that did all the clad. They were like a younger version of the tenors. Um, One of my team actually suggested Pavarotti, but he had been dead for like five years, so he wasn't getting out. I mean, Um, that's not impossible. It's just ridiculous. It was was awkward. You know, it was awkward (laughs) to have him turn up. Um, Good news bad news for you.
0: Good news mm -hmm. is we've got Pavarotti to perform. Bad news is he died a while, so it's mostly just going to be rigged up and awkward. with strings. And and don't hug
1: him, it may smell. Um, (laughs) But uh, we we found out, you know, came up with uh, Bocelli. And then um, the funny thing is I actually phoned up uh, the Vatican, who I was dealing with, And I said to him, because I couldn't get hold of Bocelli, I didn't know who he was, and I'll play a little game with you in a second, which you may enjoy. I got them to introduce me to Bocelli's family, Um, and they contacted me and they went, when do you want him? (laughs) And so that's when we got the whole Bocelli experience done. And this is my little game with you, and especially in the circles that we are in, all right? As you see, I like to play games and give examples. I'm so down. Game's my jam. Here's, here's the thing. You're in a bar, okay? I walk into the bar. It's been known to happen. And I walk up to you and I go, hey, Adam, how are you? My name's Steve Sims. I've worked with Elton John, the Pope, and Elon Musk. I'm a big deal. And I put my hand out to shake your hand. And you've never met me before until that statement. Got it. How repulsed are you by that introduction? Yeah, pretty, pretty bad. I'm gonna, I'll probably shake your hand. But, oh, that's great. That's very, very good, mate. Good for you. Yeah, and you win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's change it slightly. Right. I walk into the bar and I ignore you. You ignore me. We don't know each other. I walk to the end of the bar, I order my old fashioned and I stand over there. And Roland, who I know you love and respect, digs you in the ribs and goes, You see that guy over there? That's Steve Sims. He's worked with Sorrell and John the Pope and Elon Musk. That guy's a big deal. Now, what do you want to do? Well, now I want to go and meet you, obviously. Right. You see, the difference is not the wording, but the source. Yeah. I realized very early on, I was a bad source to introduce how brilliant I was. (laughs) If I got somebody else to do it, then it was magical. So I could have, you know, rattled around with my connections and gone, Hey, give me Bocelli's phone number. And then I would have had an uphill battle. Yeah. But if someone who he respects, contacts then i ride in on that credibility now we had never met each other prior to me speaking at your event in san diego at epic Yep, we'd never met each other but let's be blunt i had a a hair of credibility with you before we spoke because roland had brought me in and you had tremendous respect for roland absolutely, absolutely. so the beautiful thing is if you can get other people to introduce you, and we've all got these, uh, these, these profiles, we're always you know, a couple of degrees away from somebody, but if you can get them to introduce you, you ride in by saving yourself such a conversation based on the credibility that you ride in on. And that's how I managed to get the, uh, the Bocelli
0: and the academia to do it. I, I love you. Such, such a genius, Steve. I am mind blown. I, I love it. And and everyone listening, you, you have to pay attention. I want to, um, I want to share no, I'm nowhere near where Steve is in life, but I've got a little trick to, if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know anyone though. Like if I, if I phone up everyone in my phone, I'm going to end up talking to, you know, my nan, if I'm lucky, and she doesn't always answer the phone. Right. If you're, if you're in that situation, I'll tell you, and Steve, maybe you'll appreciate it. Um, when I really want to get connected to somebody um, and they're not the super wealthy, but they're, you know, somewhat experienced. Um, I like, uh, you know, and but I can't afford them if they're out of my budget, but they are available in a transaction. Uh, I wanted to work with the number one advertising copywriter in the world. And he charges a hundred grand a day to work with him. And I didn't have a hundred grand to, to throw at him back then, but I really wanted to ask him a few Pieces of information about advertising when I was learning business and marketing. So I sent him a message and my message said, I am a huge fan of your work. I have read and I listed all the things that I'd read. I was like, I I really love your work and I I had a dream to hire you, but there is no way in this world I would dare offer you less than your worth. I've looked at my bank savings and I can afford seven minutes of your time. And I said, I would like to pay your full rate for exactly seven minutes. And that way I'm honoring what you're truly worth. And during that time, I will only ask you two questions and only the second one if we've got time to it after your answer on the first one. And he was like, absolutely, I accept. Here's where you make the payment link. And so I I bought seven minutes of this guy's time. Get on the phone with him. He was blown away that I was gonna honor his fee because no one at my level could hire someone at his level and yet I'd done it. We were on the phone for two hours. We were laughing and joking. We got on so well. He invited me on two different advertising gigs that he went on as like an assistant to his. On the first one, I didn't get paid. On the second one, I was forty thousand dollars for a day of of, of being his assistant, um, but and actually like helping him writing because he was like really impressive Anyway, today I can just pick up the phone and call the guy. I don't have to. He doesn't charge me by the minute, <laughs> but. But I, I love that because I just wanted to give the people listening, because I know sometimes when you hear someone who is exceptional and Steve is, I mean, we're talking a class exceptional, you can get there. And there, there's a book that illustrates what, what Steve did, which is uh, influenced by Caldini, um, which is the power of reciprocity. Steve is leading with such a high valued offer that the person feels they have to give something in return. Like, they, How can I help you? Because you solved everything, every problem I had. So I, I love this, Steve. I, I, it's so good. And, and with that being said, now's a great time, I think, to, to, to tweak slightly. And now you're doing branding and marketing, which just sounds magical because you're going from life experiences to helping people turn their companies around. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, despite the fact that we've, you know, shared drinks and laughs and, and chat and friends, I've never heard you teach anything about branding and marketing. I've only ever heard your amazing story. So I don't know anything that you know about this either. So I am as eager as everyone listening to learn. So I I know nothing about business. Let's imagine that. Um, Go for it. Branding and marketing, Steve, what do I need to know? What do you know about me? Um, It's a great question. Um, I know that you can make anything happen. I know that your Rolodex is larger than most people's phone book. Um, I know that. Um, uh, I know that you're uh, you're from East London. You're an amazing father. I know that I don't want to get in a fight with you um, or your son, for that matter. Um, and I know that you like motorcycles. And you wrote a book called Blue Fishing. So how bad's
1: that for Brandon? For you saying that I've never spoken about Brandon? It's it's terrible.
0: It's absolutely terrible. But that's because I know you. I know you. Here's the thing. I have seen you. Mention that you're working on marketing and branding. But what is, what is fascinating for me and why I want to talk about this, because I'll, I'll use a little bit of my, of my own knowledge at this point. Um, what I do know is that you've branded yourself as the person that can make anything happen. You've branded yourself as someone who can get access to anyone and, and can achieve and do anything. And that right there, and from, from an outsider perspective, it's like when you brand yourself as someone who can do anything, you, know, you could literally tell me that you know, you've moved into you know, I don't know, making gold. And I'd be like, well, I want to learn about it because I believe you're good at it because you can do anything. So if you told me, you know, I'm the expert, at uh, you know, I don't know, helping people find new countries. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. How many new ones <laughs> are we going to find next week? I just believe you, which I think is I mean, from, from an outside perspective, I think it's genius about the way you, you at least have branded yourself historically. I think what, so it was it was a revelation to me.
1: So for 25 years, by doing all of these amazing things for amazing clients, and bearing in mind, I'm not a social butterfly. The only reason I did these wonderful things with amazing people was so quite simply, I would have, just like your example, I would have that attention for a conversation to quite simply ask them questions. And I wanted to hang around with rich people. How could I hang around with rich people when I wasn't rich, Solve one of their problems, and that would give me an hour over lunch to interview them. So that's what I was doing. I was basically podcasting people before when podcasts came out, and I was <laughs> learning all of these things. And then, as I was learning these things, I was learning how wealthy people behaved. Now, if you remember back in the nineties, when you were dealing with wealthy clients, mm-hmm. you became British. no matter where yes. you were in the planet, people were like, "Oh, good afternoon, sir. It's an honour to have." <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Now you look at someone that's a billionaire from Silicon Valley. they got ripped up jeans and they're walking around with different colored socks on and they almost look homeless in Malibu. You know, it's a different way that people have moved. Now, Mm. I was working with some of the biggest brands in the planet. Tiffany, Piaget, Ferrari, some of the biggest events in the planet. Elton John, Ferrari, Formula One, um, New York Fashion Week, the Kentucky Derby, the Grammys. I worked for the biggest events in the planet with some of the biggest luxury brands in the world. And the first thing that I came as a revelation was they were talking to the wannabe rich. The way they were talking and the way they were courting within their marketing, they were missing the demographic that they were wanting. And so I was looking at it almost like the the king's clothes going, why are you doing that? Oh, that's how you entice the rich. No, it ain't. It's how you entice those that pretend To be rich. If you really want to get the rich people in here, then close the event to a third of the amount of people that you've been selling it to and put the price up four times. Filter to get the right kind of people in the room. And I started throwing those suggestions in rooms and they were like, oh my God, never thought. I was like, really? Because I had (laughs) the luck of not being raised in that world to learn the mundane things that everyone was always doing. We've all been in there and gone, how do you market? We market like this. Why? Because that's how we've done it for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and we all know that nothing that we do today is the same as it was a year ago, let alone 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I started focusing on what are people doing? And I started paying attention. And people are, are really good at marketing themselves and shit at branding. And so what they end up doing is they end up marketing confusion. Now, branding is what people say about you when you've left the room. Marketing is what you say about you. Now, I gave the example of that when I went into the bar and I introduced myself to you. It was verbatim what I did and what I'm good at and what I'm qualified at, but the delivery was (laughs) Now, I asked you about me. And you gave me a very engaging bullet point on who I was that would have anybody in the bar wanting to buy me a drink and enter into a conversation. So in effect, I've done a phenomenal job of branding me because you repeated it exactly how I wanted you to. So you think you don't know anything about how I market and brand, but you are proof I'm damn good at it. Yep. The thing about branding today, in today's world, is you brand first, you market second. And to brand, you've got to remove any element of confusion of who you are, and you've got to focus on not authenticity, but on transparency. You need to be impossible to misunderstand as to who you are, what you do, what you stand for, to make it easy for the other person to be able to make a decision as to whether or not they want to be in your sandpit. And we noticed that so many people spent a lot of time getting articulate copy and lovely flow and great funnels when it wasn't them. It wasn't what they corely believed. So what we ended up doing was we ended up, you know, literally talking to big brands like Cartier, like Tiffany, like Piaget and going, eh, you're kind of confusing people, aren't you? You know, you're, you're kind of removing it. Why don't we get back to the story? And so that's what we started doing. And we started working for influencers, authors, and I'll be blunt. I'm amazed at some of the people that I've got to work with that are very high profile. But how they got there makes me scratch my ass and go, you've spent 10 years confusing people. Let's get rid of that. Oh. And, let's, and they, they, they quadrupled because now they're impossible to misunderstand. And that's what we do within Sims Media. We literally take the confusion out of how you put yourself forward and you can't stand out by first
0: fitting in. And that's what we do. I love it. What's a good, like for, for the people listening, a practical step that somebody can take to, to try, cause I know this, like from working with business owners, they'll be like, well, I don't know who I am. Or I don't, I don't know what people say about me when I leave a room, you know, right. or there are some that say, I do know what they say about me. But it's not true. <laughs> so the, like, the, the,
1: first, the first two things is to find out how you're coming across. Okay? Yeah. You see, before you speak, and again, let's play a game. If, yeah. if, if me, you, and Roland are going out for dinner on Saturday night, and yeah. I phone you up, and it's at your house, and I say, Adam, um, I know we're all getting together on Saturday, but I've got my friend Robert, and Robert I've known since school days, and believe it or not, he's in Austin. Can I bring him along? And you're going to be nice because you know me, you know Roland. (laughs) And you'll be like, yeah, you can. How tempted would you be to look me up on social and look up the Robert that's actually coming to your party on Saturday? You know, we have the ability to do it now. Okay? Mm -hmm. So before Robert's even shown up, now if you had the time, you'd be able to find out quite a bit about Robert before he even showed up. OK, yeah. maybe you're not sure which Robert it is. So you're looking at two Roberts and then one turns up and you go, oh, that, that guy. Yeah, he's an author and he's into muscle cars. Yeah, I know a bit about you've got all this information. It's almost like Tindering them before yeah. they've turned up. Mm-hmm. So what you should do, first of all, first things first, pour yourself a stiff drink and Google yourself. See how you show up to others and see if you agree with it. Okay, nine times out of 10, you won't, but hey, who's in charge of that? And then the second thing, and this always makes me laugh, and this can't be done on a phone. It can't be done on a tablet. It has to be done on a laptop or a desktop because you need a large screen. (laughs) You need to open up multiple browsers and you need to open up every one of your social profiles. You know, you got LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Tinder. Any of your social profiles, you open up and then look at them and go, am I the same person on all of them? Because you go on LinkedIn and you stood there, you've got a suit on and a tie and you're leaning wow. up against a, a, a library of books. You've never read the books and you've, you've got a pipe and you're very business. <laughs> and then you go over to Facebook and you're in a hot tub with your shirt off and a Mai Tai and his girl's gone wild. Have you noticed how Apple and Nike are exactly the same person, tone and community and statement on every single social platform? They don't change. Never. But for you, some reason, someone said, you've got to be professional on LinkedIn, and you can be as funny as fuck on Facebook, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and you can dance in a cheat outfit on TikTok. You know, all of a sudden, people have come up with these own ideas of what you have to be. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to be impossible to misunderstand. You've got to be the same person on LinkedIn because I remember on LinkedIn someone said to me, "You can't have a profile picture of you drinking an old fashioned." <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> someone I, said that you, That's not going to go well.
1: Yeah, they said that to me, and I went, "But I like drinking old fashioned." They, yeah, yeah, but LinkedIn's no place for that. Why? Does no one on LinkedIn drink an old fashioned? Oh yeah, but I actually had fun going through this long thread. In the end, they just told me to f*** off and they they ran away. But the point is, I don't want to confuse anyone. Can you imagine what it'd be like if I had a profile picture of me with a cup of coffee with a little pinky out? You know, (laughs) it would confuse people. So I want to make sure that the person you see is the person you get to hear that is validated by the person you get to meet. Mm -hmm. And so in branding, how you show up is the first thing that you have to control. And if you don't like the way it is, it it, it makes me laugh. If you want to be a podcast guest, here's a little tip for you. And it couldn't get any easier and freer than this. If you want to do more podcasts in your social profile, write the word amazing podcast guest. I have (laughs) that on my LinkedIn profile. I have speaker because I'm a speaker. I have coach. Because I'm a coach and I literally have awesome or amazing podcast guests. And I get people I've never met before going, Oh, I heard about you on Adam and I looked at your li- you, do, po- I have a podcast. Would you be on my podcast? Yeah. I- Are you alive? Yeah. Then I'll do your podcast, you know? And I do that podcast. So you've got to take it down to a stupidly simple level on first of all, analyzing how you show up. Then when you're concise, With that, and only then, then do you start looking at distribution and marketing out. But first of
0: all, brand who you are first. I love this, Steve. I think that's a a perfect place to move into the end of this, where I first of all want to ask you, all of our guests, we say to them at the very end, would you mind saying smart businesses and then what should they do? What should a smart business do in
1: your mind? Smart businesses focus on the solution they provide for the client rather than how pretty they look in video.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I couldn't, couldn't have expected anything better you. That's brilliant. So Steve, with that being said, if somebody wants to work with you or they want to learn more about you, where should they go? What should people do?
1: Well, if you want to get hold of any kind of marketing and media with me and Henry, we're at sims.media. If you want me and wanna can I find out what I'm up to, what I'm drinking and who I'm irritating, then look up stevedsims.com or stevedsims on any social platform. Strangely, spookily enough, I'm the exact same name everywhere. Steve D for dashing
0: and one M in Sims. Steve D Sims. I love it. Guys, I, I, every single person, like, I, you know, I have incredible guests in this podcast. I've been blessed because I have a, an amazing network uh, as well. But, Without a doubt, Steve has become like one of the most incredible people I've met in the last year. I love this guy so much. Um, I 100% endorse this guy. Anything he's done, anything he's drank, um, you know, any bike he's ridden, like just straight up, just go and consume everything by this man because he is phenomenal. Steve, thank you so much for attending.
1: It's, it's been a, well. You obviously don't get out much, but uh, it's been an absolute <laughs> honour and pleasure to be on your show, pal.
0: Look after yourself. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit the smartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.